Welcome to the Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Wright. With me today, I have the founder and CEO of Stellar Amenities. Uh, it's a company who is helping to uh, define the, the young field of space architecture, uh, try and figure out exactly what this field is. Uh, her name is Anastasia Prosina. Uh, welcome to the show, Anastasia. Thank you so much, Blake. Thank you for having me. And I'm really appreciating that I can share my thoughts in your show. Yeah. Yeah, Looking of course. Looking forward to our show today. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you uh, jumped on with me today. Uh, we've never actually met. So it's always um, a good feeling when I can convince someone to, to hang out with me online, even though we've never actually met. <laughs> you forced me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, would you say that's an adequate way that I described stellar amenities? Yeah, How that's you that's pretty much unique way you described it. Yeah, which try you try to define and you feel like well, this is nascent space architecture is nascent field mm. yet it's been here for, I mean since the Cold War the the Cold War started, mm -hmm. you know this uh, space race between USSR and United States, and uh, um. But actually, right now, space architecture is unfolding pretty rapidly mm -hmm. because of the private sectors, you know, getting bigger and bigger chunk of space exploration. And NASA really appreciates that. NASA really, you know, invests in these companies. NASA mm -hmm. wants to have suppliers mm -hmm. to their missions because it's usually much much more cost effective to have a private entity to develop a rocket or develop an engine right. or develop a space habitat. <laughs> right, it kind of cuts down on their R&D. Absolutely, so they can mm -hmm. focus more on research and mm -hmm. what actually drives you know, NASA. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, it, it also seems like we're finally getting to a point where people can kind of visualize uh, actually going to space and living in space and it seems like it was always kind of a pipe dream and we're getting closer to a point where people can actually you know foresee maybe not them but maybe their children uh, experiencing these things so i can understand why the field would kind of finally be growing to a point where it's um, you know actually real companies operating and not just kind of a science fiction thing yeah absolutely and you, you you mentioned that probably our children gonna see this. Actually, we're gonna see this in this decade. It's um, I'm talking about the lunar mission called Artemis that is NASA planning to make, and there's already a lot of developments going on. Really? And yeah, NASA says they're gonna uh, have all the equipment sent to to, to the moon by 2024, and then oh, wow. we're gonna have first people. Um, land it maybe at the same year, maybe like next year. 2024. This is wow. pretty much exactly. It's a test bed for Martian missions. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mars, Martian missions, according to NASA, is going to be like 2033. Mm -hmm. uh, but SpaceX says that, right. well, <laughs> I'm going to be there in 2020. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in like in five, actually in four years, so yeah. almost like four, five, six years. Mm -hmm. It just it's just mind blowing. They're a bit more it's, ambitious. Exactly. And mm -hmm. it's like you got you actually can believe them because they just recently sent people mm -hmm. to the ISS and they're gonna have the second mission that's actually gonna be real. Like you know, because the first it was test mission. They just sent astronaut with 
Do they know how long astronauts going to stay? What's the, <laughs> what they're going to do? And then they're like, okay, two months, it's okay. And it's like, yeah, okay. And then they get, they got back. Yeah. Um, that, that was such an exciting thing to watch uh, them actually yeah. sending people up and getting to the ISS and back. And it, that mission went so well. Like there was no hiccups. There was nothing. I mean, I think they had to delay it for weather, but other than that, it, it was so perfect. And you could really see that they have it all figured out. And uh, I totally believe that SpaceX could do it uh, if anyone can. Absolutely. And they actually they won the contract to to use their moon, uh, lunar lander, mm. um, this mission. So Artemis mission. Within a few years, uh, if you heard of Starship, mm. <laughs> they want to have a, a sort of modification of Starship as a lander in the moon so they can test this technology and uh, use it as a transportation to Mars. Really? So it's really happening. So not, they're not just say, saying that, hey, we're going to send up 100 people one way and, uh, well, <laughs> and they're going to explode or something. Uh, I haven't seen that lunar lander, the new one. What Does that look anything like the old lunar lander? Or does, what is it? Um, like, does it do anything differently? Uh, what do you mean old lunar? Which one? Like old lunar Like from lunar the Apollo lander. missions? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's sort of a habitat where you can stay like for a short period of time. Um, mm, let me see. So there's a really big competition between landers. I know that Blue Origin, they already also got a contract that they're going to use oh, their really? lander. And then SpaceX is also getting one. And then Dy- uh, Dynetics, it's another company that's also developing. So I'm not sure. I haven't followed news like for just a few days. I just need to kind of kind of pick up <laughs> what's going on. But basically it's just really a huge competition. And probably we also talk about cooperation between these companies. Like there is a lot of space for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can send their lenders. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you think uh do you think that's kind of an intro to what space architecture is going to be is these kind of private companies bidding out to get, you know, these large contracts through NASA and through the government agencies. Um, yeah, this is, this is really an incredible time. I cannot believe I'm, I just feel like I'm so lucky. I was born like in the spirit <laughs> of time and I'm like 25. I'm just this whole life in, you know, I go to have like, I mean, I haven't lived enough. And well, what I'm saying, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> let me see. Um, when I talk about space architecture, it excites me so much all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so since private sector is evolving so much, and you've probably seen this news of, you know, um, Virgin Galactic, mm-hmm. just, I think, I believe it's in the end of June, they announced their interior design of their um, R-line, sort of hmm. space R-line that they're going to have. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, that's that's really neat. Like, the there's a huge, like, there's, a, there's like, very detailed video on YouTube. So wow. you can Google and watch it. Yeah, I need and to also, And then they also released an app. And then you can actually, like, sort of, do argumented reality within so you can have the space shaft inside your house and look at the details <laughs> cool kind of zoom in zoom out that's really interactive and the ticket obviously costs like 
like around two hundred fifty thousand uh, oh fifty thousand dollars yeah, and quarter they, million dollars. Well, yeah, they they said they're gonna drop it a little bit, um, but you should first sign up. So the, they actually ask you to sign up even though you don't have money. So mm. they want to see how much people would want to go. Right. So they kind of can leverage the price. So then there's another company called. Space Perspective, they're launching a balloon, a space balloon. They also mm. recently announced this news. Like I saw it on CNBC. I saw like everywhere, all, all of the channels. Mm-hmm. Oh, so much fun. And then they say that it's going to be like 150, so it's pretty much $150,000. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, cheaper. But still, it really, it really shows that we are getting, we are, at this point, we are attracting users like us, like, well, probably wealthy, like some parts <laughs> of the wealthiest wealth, wealth people. Right. But um, it's really, you know, this move of uh, private space tourism, I believe it really propels our overall, um, overall way, I guess, of becoming a multi-planetary species. Mm-hmm. So I see it as a, you know, we're building these orbital hotels. I mean, Axon Space is one of the companies that, well, the, it's the company that claims that they're going to launch the private, very first private space station by 2024. Mm. <laughs> well, everybody stick to this 2024. Right. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I've never heard of that. So that's kind of like a, a hotel version of the ISS. Uh, sort of, they're going to utilize some of the ISS modules because if you heard, ISS is going to be decommissioned by... Mm-hmm. 2028, something like that. They don't know yet. Um, mm. So some, so Axiom approaches to um, reuse some of the modules. Interesting. And also uh, provides. So um, if you know, there were some space tourists on the ISS, and there were only seven people that actually ever been as an orbit tourist. Mm. And then, so Axiom Space, they're really focusing on how to create a better experience in space for people like tourists that want to go. Because, you know, when getting more and more people interested in space, like those who actually can afford to go to space, and there's actually around 60,000 people can afford to go to space right now, but Mm -hmm. only seven bit to space, what it means. It means that it's not that sexy it's like it's better just to buy a, a few Lamborghinis, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then many houses instead of going to space. It doesn't excite the, uh, these people much. And I think that by design, like we space architects, can affect this very much. We can actually make something very, very attractive. Yeah. Like imagine, uh, you know, Nokia phone and iPhone, and then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and pretty yeah. much providing this value by, that's driven by design and providing these unique experiences that can be experienced in any places on Earth except space. Right. So you're, is, you're kind of making, the, making it worth the trip in a way. You know, even if, they're, uh, even if the trip itself isn't worth it to them, <laughs> you can at least <laughs> you can make it worth their trip. Uh, even though you know, the reason you're going should be to you know, experience something that few people have ever experienced and you get this kind of universal view of life and get to see the earth from a different perspective but even then you uh, you know a lot of it right now is not exactly a comfortable experience so you're making it you know more of a a, a hospitable environment 
I mean, you can even fall asleep really easily in space. You like you take medications. Even I think around ninety astronauts, ninety percent of astronauts, they take medications in order to fall asleep. Oh, weird! And it's like it's so bad. When we are thinking about multiplanetary species in in, the, in this decade, or maybe like in in, in the next fifteen years, but we mm-hmm. still haven't solved this basic problems, mm-hmm. like going, you know, having the toilet that is pretty much decent, <laughs> and then yeah, uh, private quarters and stuff mm-hmm. like that. We haven't focused on it much. Yeah. And then there's all of the kind of biological issues like bone density and simulated gravity and um, like circadian rhythms and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself in this position? (laughs) Yeah, I just walked on the street and found myself. (laughs) (laughs) You just knocked on the door of NASA. (laughs) Well, as a foreign nation, I cannot knock the door at NASA. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is one of the biggest things. Like, well, you want a long story, short story, where you want to start? Cause, give, me, like, give me the long story, and I'll cut you off if it gets too long. Jesus. <laughs> uh, so what happened? I was living my whole life, like, until I, I, I turned 23 in Russia, uh, specifically in Siberia, it's mm. like kind of one of the coldest places on earth. Yeah. Like in winters, but we also have hot summers. So it's like really? extreme. Yeah. Extreme climate. Um, and I was just, I've been trained as an artist since I was five. So I was just attending art schools and I got into, you know, this, uh, primary school stuff like that is pretty much boring and I want to become when I was in school I want to become a journalist or philologist philologist is a sort of profession where you discover how languages were created and like mm. pretty much understanding the meaning behind the books that you read like what author tried to say like it's pretty much kind of like that if you make sense because philologist is not that known Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of profession. Yeah, it's but not then something I, I've heard of. Yeah, absolutely. Even um, within my friends and in Russia, it's not that popular. So it's like, it's pretty much a person who can speak very well. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and then we really kind of into research. And I was getting like, I was getting like stipends and I was getting like prizes. I was winning you know, everybody thought I'm going to be like a journalist or something like that. But then like in the last year of my school, high school, I just thought, well, I want to become an architect actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was really a kind of dream of mine when I was a child because I felt like art and engineering, right. sequel architecture, and it's like what I want to do because I am I, an artist and I don't want to work with words. And uh, I just didn't see the perspective I just wanted to create something new. And then my, my father, he is a car mechanic. Mm-hmm. And he usually would show me um, how things work. We will explain how cars work because he knows cars very well. Obviously, he's a car mechanic. He, know, he knows how to fix cars. And I would usually f- ask what's different between, you know, diesel and gasoline and stuff like that. And it was really fascinating. And he had a garage. He, well, he still have a garage. And 
um, he still works on things that he used to work on. It's pretty much fixing cars yeah. and painting them. So he also a uh, painter. So mm-hmm. I was really fascinated by his miracle. His magic of getting the, the color, the paint on the car is so, you know, even. So he would paint a, a, one of, you know, piece of a car because the, there's one be, would be, I mean, he wouldn't paint the whole car. He would just paint like a, just a little bit where it should be. Mm-hmm. And then you, you could see a difference. And it's like, that's so, it's so fascinating me so much. Uh, his mastery of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I, I tried to apply to, into three schools of architecture in Siberia. Mm. And then I got admitted into one and it was like, it's uh it's one of the prestigious school in Russia. And I, I really, honestly, I had really zero choices, uh, uh, chances. Right. It's because I, you see, you should take specific exams in order to get admitted. Like, you know, a drawing of a head, like a sculpture. <laughs> and then uh like a composition from your head, like a kind of imaginary composition that you create. And this is really specific examining that usually those who are taking these examines, they, they, it takes around two years to mm-hmm. prepare our, their, themselves to it. And I had like one or two weeks to prepare for it. <laughs> it was like yeah. really tough. But somewhat I got, I made it <laughs> somewhat <laughs> Uh, but although I didn't make it to the architecture, like there's architecture, but also there's u- urban planning, which is part of architecture. So urban planning is pretty much focusing on how you, you know, design parks, but also obviously just how you design cities. Right. Pretty just much, how, you know, how things kind of interact with each other. Like, yeah, like a network, like understanding what needs are, uh, should be met and how the synergy, like how you actually create the synergy in the city. And it's just, I feel like I was really lucky because I really liked what I studied. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, seeing like from the birth, I, you know, and understanding things, senses behind things, mm-hmm. uh, understanding yeah. why you build something, why you did this, why you did that. It seems like um, to me that you've kind of always been interested in like the various STEM fields, uh, both science and technology and art. Um, yeah. I didn't even know what this time is like two years ago. So it's like, well, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> right. It, it's kind of a, it's, it's a large grouping, but I, I feel like most people who are interested in one are kind of interested in all of them. Yeah. I really believe in this, you know, renaissance, yeah, renaissance man, uh, that knowledge is not really important or how you call it. I really believe in synergy of knowledge and what I mean under that is um, if you study biology or you study paleontology, it doesn't mean that you like studying something that's within paleontology. You always, you're also studying anthropology, also studying something that could be applicable to your profession right now. So mm-hmm. like in architecture, I really learned that, well, I, I, I studied philosophy, I studied uh, different things like engineering, obviously it's a part of architecture and anthropology. And it's just really, it gets you to realization that everything is just interconnected and you cannot just separate one knowledge from another. 
And that's yeah. probably why I got really excited about this degree, you know, in Uber planning. And in second off, it was for free, you know, for five oh, yeah. years I studied it for free. So Wow, that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I had a kind of a similar path. I originally, I always, uh, always planned to be an architect. Um, it's like from an early age, I kind of saw myself getting into that profession. Yeah. Um, I've always been interested in building and making and designing and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah. I, I went to like a community college after I graduated high school uh, for architecture for like a year and a half. And I couldn't afford to go anymore, but I, I kind of realized that it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but it was kind of a, like a larger overarching uh, field that I wanted to get into. And it was only through like learning architecture that I realized that I wanted to make furniture. Um, and it's funny cause everyone that I meet that makes furniture went to school for architecture. So I feel like architecture itself is kind of an, like an overarching, like, catch-all for people who want to uh, blend like art and science and, absolutely uh, so I can I can kind of understand how you would go into architecture and then kind of divert into urban planning or space architecture or in my case like furniture design um, so yeah it's it's I was just kind of curious to to see what led you from architecture to space architecture in, in particular yeah, it was uh, such a fun event. <clears throat> in 2016, I went to Moscow. It was like, I, nothing's, you know, special. I, I do it. I used to do it pretty often. Like there's some of my friends living there and it's just nice to go to the capital of your country because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably one of the most beautiful cities yeah. and it's well-funded. So it's like in Russia, the centers, they're usually well-funded, but other parts of the country is like... Really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was lucky I was studying in the third large city of Russia. So it's like there's uh, Moscow and then St. Petersburg and then Novosibirsk. Mm. So it's like pretty big city and it gets a lot of funding, gets a lot of funding from the government. So it's pretty much centralized approach. Mm. And here in the United States, it's a, well, it's different. And yeah. every city, like every city, every, even, you know, county, every, every area has their own, they have their own funding resources. Mm. So it's not centralized. Um, so yeah, what I'm saying. So I went to Moscow and it was like this year that it was dedicated to space flight. Like I, I, I went to the space museum for the first time. Oh, wow. And it was like, it's really huge. It's like, it's, I think it's even bigger than in Johnson Space Center. And, and you can imagine that, tex- you know, in Texas, everything is big, mm-hmm. even huge. And then <laughs> in Moscow, it's like, it's extremely well designed. It's so nice. The museum is so nice. And then I went to like a sort of extension of this museum to a different building. And then I saw this um exhibition on space architect uh, her name is galina balashova it's the i i think it's the very first space architect mm. and she was a architect of soviet union space travel so in particular she was uh, designing interior design of mm. space travel to make it feel like it's second home so it don't really? miss earth yeah she uh, it was funny that 
at that time they didn't know how gravity affects like how what's the moment in gravity it was like really like 1960s 1970s so she's like she drew like a uh, the floor was green because of grass and then the <laughs> ceiling was blue because of sky <laughs> yeah and and the you know the interior design she she the style of the design was pretty much in soviet in soviet like stylish was like there's a sort of carpet I mean I'm kind of exaggerating but it really felt like you have a carpet on the floor and then you like have this really cozy experience being there Mm. and it's like what fascinated fascinated me so much is that uh, you know spacecraft is it's the only thing that keeps you alive in space Mm -hmm. and you cannot just get out and you know go to forest or something and uh, in this spacecraft if it was so small and there should be so much inter- integrated with human body so you can you know work productively breathe eat sleep uh and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh i just remember there was a dummy like and then inside of a spaceship like kind of a, a model and then i just looked inside and it's like it was so well de- designed and i thought well, so I felt like that architecture is like being life to a human. Like, design can actually help you survive. Yeah, uh, not because of the. If it's pure engineering, it's like you feel like more of a machine than a human. Absolutely. Uh, I've I've spent quite a bit of time at uh, Johnson Space Center. I, I'm actually from Texas too, um, so I I used to go visit my sister in Houston, and every time I would visit. Uh, NASA there and it's it's interesting looking inside those like the spacecraft that they have or the little you know exhibits that they have because it's you really see how tight it is in there and how small the quarters are and how kind of everything has its right place and nothing can be out of place otherwise it you know it interferes with the mission and there's just no extra space so that's that's what interests me in space architecture because you're or interior design even because you're you're trying to like add aesthetics to a thing that where aesthetics really don't belong like it's more of a mission but when you're living there you kind of need like an added thing to you know, keep you happy and um you just feel like a human i guess like you were saying yeah and it's not i'm, I'm actually i'm glad that you've been to the Joseph space center because mm-hmm. it's like uh somebody said to me that it was it was such a like kind of a disney for space geeks yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's so awesome <laughs> exactly you can try out some space shop like where itself and you can mm-hmm. actually navigate it it's so much fun i've been there like i think three times really well i was living uh there and it's my program was associated with i mean i wasn't living on, on uh you know on campus or or living next to no, Joseph Space Center. I was living in Houston and then Joseph Space is pretty much far away. Yeah. And I don't have a car. So for me, it's pretty much far away. So yeah, it's a huge I, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, I didn't walk. So I didn't walk <laughs> or didn't bike. So don't, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that, yep. Um, aesthetics is not something that was considered uh, in space architecture. Uh, as for now, and we are getting to the point that this becomes an essential part of a human uh, human mission, mm-hmm. because the study shows that you know 
Uh, Cubicable Health is the second big, biggest risk towards uh, humans' access to space, access to space after radiation. So radiation is really a really huge thing. Mm. And then the second is how you can get along with other people and how your well-being going to be changed in space flight. And we're talking about like three years in space yeah. uh, when we're going to Mars, right? So you're going to be weightlessness for a long time and then you're going to be surface from Mars. And usually you're always going to be in a small space. And uh, so when you are thinking about human-centered design in this case, it's really, it's a healing experience. It's, it's, a, it's a crucial part of a, of a mission. In, if we invest this funding towards this, it will really will pay in a long long run. It will it will pay us back in the long run. Because mm-hmm. if mission fails, if something goes wrong, um, well, let me kind of describe a little bit. Because <laughs> um, when you have like ever changing spaces in small, in small space habitat, and then you can have privacy from your crew crewmates. Um, and then you can actually change the environment according to your needs. And then you can have a tactile, because uh, you can have tactile experiences because in space you have sensory deprivation. Um, and uh, this sensory experiences, tactile experiences really play a huge role in our lives. And we can really appreciate it. Uh, when we are on Earth, but once we're in space, we we can feel it. And uh, once we were in isolation for a long time, like during the pandemic, mm-hmm. you can really appreciate that everything is like really a monotone kind of a routine experience, mm-hmm. and you cannot just go and <laughs> meet other people yeah. that are your friends or family. And in space, it's, it's such a similar experience, but it's even much more harsh. Right. I actually had written that down was to ask you about how COVID right now is kind of giving us a test run and, uh, yeah. you know, showing us things that we wouldn't normally think about in the same way, uh, you know, living in an enclosed habitat, uh, something that you have to make multifunctional. Uh, you know, people are working and living in the same room in, in ways that they never really had before, uh, at least not in any recent time. And uh, I think that that's interesting. It kind of gives us a glimpse into what that would be like. I agree. And actually, I wrote a short booklet on like, how would you, you and I, how we would change our apartment towards, you know, better experience living in isolation for with the same people. Because mm-hmm. like, I feel like it's, as you said, it's pretty much uh, preparation for our dystopian future it's not only about space exploration but also like living like um you know that there are more people moving to cities every year and cities become overpopulated mm-hmm. and we tend to live in smaller and smaller apartments with bigger and bigger in in higher um rent pre- right. price for for the rent and then we just we just push to live together, you know, and like there's no choice like for middle class to live, um, you know, in a bigger house. And uh, I could see the correlation between the principles of design that you apply on, on space architecture projects, and then 
the principles that you would also design for small living apartments uh, or mm. tiny houses or any places like say desert say underwater or floating cities like mm. on the you know ocean because there's a big concept regarding floating cities is that um, well we know about climate change we know that the uh, the oceans getting high the the level of ocean is getting higher and higher and then eventually we might not have Venus really short really soon and then how would you adapt to these changes mm-hmm. and then well it really sounds like futuristic sounds like kind of dystopian future but it's it, it's actually going to happen and we just better to adapt to it right because we are very adaptive species yeah <laughs> we can yeah, adapt that's... to anything that's definitely true. Uh, so you think uh, Stellar Amenities is designing more, not just for space, but also for kind of yeah. harsh environments and small environments? Absolutely. I think uh, that we can learn a lot from space architecture experience. And in space architecture, uh, space architecture itself, I think, fostering the development of small living. Because mm. in, sp- in space architecture, you only there's such a limited space right mm-hmm. such a well limited volume in a space habitat and then all the lessons all the methodology that you apply when you're designing interior space habitat by the way i'm not saying that we are designing like you know space architects there's different space architects by the way uh mostly uh they are systems engineers and i was taught um in Houston, but I didn't tell you this part of my story. <laughs> oh, sorry. We're kind of, kind of jumping, jumping around. Yeah, I knew I would cut you <laughs> yeah, off. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> that's fine. So I was saying, oh uh, yeah. So I think we are kind of getting to this part, uh, to this time that we are living in really extreme environments. I mean, our apartments getting smaller and smaller. And we we have some unpopulated places such deserts, and mm-hmm. especially during this time, living in desert could be a really uh, a wonderful thing for for two reasons probably. If you can work remotely, you can work from anywhere, right? And then um, you know the rent and the building, or if you want to build a house, it's extremely cheap because nobody lives there, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> And then you can just really have full life without thinking about, you know, paychecks. Because living in cities is just getting to an extreme and even middle class can afford to live. Anymore. Right. We're we're pricing out people based on the demand and you know, there's yeah. there's only there's a limited supply and, and a higher demand. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting back to the story by the way, I think uh, yeah. Houston part is very important. Okay. Uh and uh, how I got. So I said that I was in the museum and I was really inspired. And it's like, wow, this is something I felt like, you know, my heart is beating faster. It's like, oh, I need to Google it. I need to find out what could I learn about. It. And there was almost nothing. Like, I mean, there was something, but not that much, you know. I just heard about, in that year, I just learned that there is a program in Houston called space architecture the world's only program in space architecture and it's like okay i should go <laughs> yeah is that really the only one yeah it is the only one wow uh, educational program it's masters and I said okay i should go 
but that's I, a big leap. I know it was like it was such an unbelievable event. I, I mean, first off, I began speaking English for maybe 2017 only. I oh didn't know gosh. it before, so it's like I failed the exam that you need to take TOEFL or IELTS. So it's like pretty much. So TOEFL, TOEFL is an exam that you take if you want to attend uh, American universities. And then if you're foreign and you never studied in the uh, English speaking, in the English um, sp spoken university. So you, so you take this test and then according to your scores, the uh, university decide, decides if they want you to have. So it's like I failed four times to do the TOEFL exam like in the row and it's like it's like 200 you pay 200 every time oh man and it's like you know 200 is something like a half of salary in russia or like something like that so it's like <laughs> i was just pretty much saving uh also investing in some things and i was pretty much living as cheap as possible i could do because i was living in the geometry at that time it was like five dollars a month like payment it was just everything i paid and then food that's oh. all so it was like I was liking this term, and then and the, on the last attempt, I on the fifth attempt, I took IELTS a speech type of exam. So it's pretty much the same, but just a little bit different to speak to uh, a real person. Mm. And in TOEFL, you speak to a computer. So it was like it was really irritating to me. Yeah, and I did really well. <laughs> I don't know, maybe because well, in school I had English, but I was like kind of in sketchy. It was, uh, yeah, not really great. Like no, yeah. nobody from my class could speak English right now, so they right. can speak English right now. Right, I think it, it's just, it's, um, hard. it's so hard the, to learn. The, the, what kind, the, yeah, and then the kind of, so I was studying British, so probably, that's why I probably did better mm. in British exam. And then uh, the, I was lucky that all of the universities that I applied, they also accept British one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and then, so, um, yeah, I applied to three schools. So Pratt Institute, it's architecture school in, in New York City. They had some course in space architecture, but it turns out it wasn't really a course that they have on, like, a curriculum. Mm. Mm. More of like a, like a bonus class, not really like a, a major. Yeah, it was like a class. That, I, I believe it was, like, hosted by somebody else from outside, like, for a semester you know some you know some uh, Joseph Space Center people came and then they taught students what to do and how to design spacecraft and then it wasn't really there anymore mm -hmm. and it's like oops okay <laughs> and then I applied to UCLA is like uh, there wasn't space architecture but it was a technology studio um, Supra studio I believe it's the I think three studios where like there's technology studio and then there's something else and something else and I remember so in technology I just really was fascinated by learning how to build with robotics and stuff like yeah. that I don't know I just felt so nice it was so good and actually they accepted me but they said my my TOEFL was so low like my 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 score was so low I should retake it and then they're gonna <laughs> wait for me but yeah likely and it's I mean fortunately. I didn't make there and I was just in Houston. It's where I wanted to go, but yeah. like to other universities, it was just in case, you know, I don't know. 
and it's just better you go. So in Houston, it's it's a three semester program, mm -hmm. and what's the, the most amazing thing is that you meet astronauts on almost daily basis, and then they yeah, just so come cool. and then say hello, hi, <laughs> yeah. and then they just give they give talks, and then you can ask any any questions regarding your project, and just that's so so cool. And then not only astronauts but also just experts like space architects from NASA Joseph Space Center. There are plenty of them. There's a habitation center, I guess. This is the name how you call it. So it's my space architecture center. Yeah. Um and I was lucky I got so first semester I got into a paid project. <laughs> <laughs> Because I just, I, I had money only to cover visa. Like in, in order to go to American school, you should show that you have enough, sufficient funding. So yeah. you're not going to beg for money or something, you know. Right. Um, or Don't work. Cause, exactly. Because you're not allowed to work as an international student for the first year outside mm -hmm. of campus. But you can work in, um, on campus. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, that was fine. And yeah, I, I was working with a space company called Excalibur Almas. They, uh, the owner, uh, the, the, the employer he had, he still have, um, has a flown salute space station. This is Soviet, it's a Soviet space station that, that flew many times and he wanted to create a, a space hotel and then mm -hmm. research station out of it. So uh, say uh, this is pretty much a, a free flyer. Mm. And then if, if you having, if, if researchers coming, so you have a single, so you have a certain uh, configuration and then if uh, space tourists coming, you have another, but, but then you, you're trying to think like how you could fit these two different users into one space and then with minimal configurations. So you can create the kind of comfy experience, amazing experience, but at the same time, such as, uh, I mean, astronauts can do their research. Mm -hmm. So it was like, that's really cool. But I would say that this program, it was uh, pretty much on, you know, understanding what, how to create, how to really design a successful uh, spacecraft. So it really implies understanding systems engineer, understanding how much volume you need from that, from this, um, and I, I felt I'm not, it's, it's not really cup, it's not my cup of tea. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to do some, you know, more artistry, right. <laughs> more like an architecture, like, right. you know, architecture in terms of design related. So, and then I really noticed this problem that I noticed that some of my classmates and also in some space projects that you built a cylindrical habitat say on the moon and then you use uh rectangular furniture <laughs> it's like it creates this <laughs> negative spaces right. and it felt so ridiculous you know i mean you you talk about every inch it's so much important in space but at the same time you just use furniture that you can find in, like <laughs> ikea <laughs> exactly <laughs> and this is actually what got me into you know uh, thinking about how we can improve interior design of space uh, habitats and then why <laughs> I created Stellar after graduating this program. But I already felt like I want to create a company once I came to Houston. I just felt like I just, I want to be, you know, the problem is space architecture project. They're mostly they're not funded. Mm -hmm. All the projects that you saw on the website, uh, 
pro- probably five out of six, they were not paid. It's like you just work and you just have fun, right? <laughs> and you don't, with these projects, you don't really push forward. Yeah. Like uh, this project I worked at MIT Media Lab was it's extremely fascinating concept. They, um, so Aria Eggblo, she developed this uh, self-ascending space habitat out of hexagonals. And then I was there to complement this habitat with interior design, like mm. and creating a playful solution for this habitat. But it's like a, such a real futuristic concept that I really felt like I just wanted to have, like, to see this, like, to see stuff that you build flow in the space. That actually improves lives right now, because you can see all this concept in science fiction, but you also want to convey these ideas into reality. Mm -hmm. And this is actually the reason why I created a company. Instead of just, you know, working as a space architect somewhere, maybe, you know, sticking with MIT Media Lab, because I, I could, I had this opportunity to stick with them, with MIT? Yeah, they, uh, well, obviously, if if there would be payment, and they, we actually discussed that there could be payment, but um, anyway, I just really realized that who that, who if not me, you know, who who is going to do it? Who is right. going to, who's going to have also private entity, like what's going on in space, right? It's going to be one of the private entities that actually push forward, create something that is way more efficient and cheaper. And then we, uh, our team understands the dangers of our, you know, space environment, uh, what kind of material should be used. And then we know art and science and architecture. Mm-hmm. So there are some architecture companies that tried to kind of step in space architecture. There are some proposals really? like, yeah, like Norman and Foster, uh, sorry, Norman Foster and partners. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, very, <laughs> Norman Foster. <laughs> and the uh, Bjarke Ingels group um, and uh, SOM. There's large, really huge names in architecture that try to step right. uh, into space architecture field. And they, they, they do create beautiful environment. They do create interesting solution. But at the same time, it's, it's not, it's, they don't consider it you know, in the market. They don't understand the users. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what I see in Stellar as a benefit in our team, you know, because we understand the space industry and with the same what's needed and what what would be too too much futuristic to implement yeah Yeah. um sorry let me give me one second i need to grab my computer charger (laughs) sorry (laughs) absolutely there we go i got that sorry i just uh i realized that i was down to 15 percent, and i was like oh this is not gonna end um yeah so uh now that you've told me a little bit about the company, I'm curious about um, how you built your team with the company and how you found the people that you're working with and kind of what, uh, what everyone's role is in the company. Yeah. Well, the co-founder as well as Chetino Joff Servi met 2018 Oh, by the way, I didn't say this. It was a, such a major event in space architecture for me. It's that I met this um, engineer from uh, GPL, like via Facebook, and mm-hmm. then we decided 
and then my friend from Moscow, we both just, we all decided to participate in um, Marstopia. Right, I wanted to ask you about Marstopia. Exactly. So it's like, it was probably the biggest competition on space architecture that time. Mm-hmm. And, and we where, applied. Where were you working or studying at the time? Yeah, I was in Russia. It was my final year of school. I, w- I had thesis. And also was on uh, urbaniz- it was thesis on urbanization on Mars. I didn't mm. care that what professors gonna say. <laughs> they, everybody told me it's paper architecture, which means that it's just concept. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to just, make it real. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't care. This is my education. This is what I want to do. This is just why would I? Uh, I mean, in comparison, my other classmates, they would do like parks and uh, that is that they are, you know, severe kind of innovation of parks, which is also cool, right? Mm-hmm. But I just really felt that I'm already applying to Houston. I'm already going mm-hmm. and I'm about to go. I wasn't sure yet, but I'm about to go. I want to pursue this field and just there were no, bond, like, there were no barriers. There were like three professors that gave up on me. They're like... So the, the, how it works is like you you decide a thesis team, just a thesis topic, and then there is uh, you have a professor that assigned to you by the field that you choose. So for example, if you if you design a park, you have a professor that is most you know most specialized you know specialized in this area, mm-hmm. and so on. And then I had like. A really well-known architect who designed most of the Siberian cities. He's like very old mm. man. I really, wow. you know, respect him. And then he said, "You know, Anastasia, why would you choose Moon? There were at least people. You know, people at least went there. At least we know a little bit more about it than Mars." But he's like, <laughs> "I cannot work on this." Right. He, he wanted, you know, to work on on stuff that could be implemented like i don't know not not any student architecture work implemented in real life unless you really push for it right Um, he he probably thought it was a little far-fetched absolutely so i felt like i'm rather designed on mars than for no severs because just felt like for me just more real (laughs) 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 it was fun it was fun it was like the the thesis was Oh, wait, we we're talking about Marstopia. Yeah, but this is like really short because it's also interesting. It's like, it's uh, pretty much creating, understanding how cities is going to be built on Mars. It's like, what kind of resources? Because you know, cities on Earth, you just, you build, not just randomly, obviously, but because of resources, because the proximity of water, like a river. So it's mm-hmm. sort of a port. So it connects to other cities, it's kind of a vein in this huge organism called Earth. So you like <laughs> build a city which is which can be which can benefit from resources that you have there. Right. And climate. And on Mars there are no resources. <laughs> well there's actually there is a lot of resources actually. Okay. But there's no air, yeah, there's no brief, briefable oxygen, just a little bit, but not enough. And then there's a lot of iron. There's there's pretty much there's some minerals that you would go and then water. Water is probably one of the most precious mm-hmm. one. And then I just really I decide like kind of figured out which points would go like which points would be the best and then the landing site. And then 
what would take to get from from that from this point to that point which means that the first off you have an astronaut and maybe a rover and then the rover can move like how how slow i don't remember so it's like you create like sort of a net a network of uh, i don't know you call it a sort of transportation between cities and then you really understand step by step like how much how long this would take how much each transportation would take without fuel so without mm-hmm. stop without fuel so I, I i assume that so we have astronauts this astronaut can go without food for such long time <laughs> just in case you know if rover doesn't work if something goes wrong because in in space actors you always think about okay this doesn't work so what so what's the what's the backup plan so mm-hmm. if rovers breaks up so you just can walk from one city to another lake and then how far you can build another habitation. Yeah. And should they be really close or should be farther away? So it's like really depends on resources because mm-hmm. resource destruction is going to be a big thing in, on, on, on Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I assume that we have uh, sort of uh, a, rails, a railway. <laughs> it was, I mean... Rail, railway is something that you can find you always can find can find and then you might you never meet so for example if your compass doesn't work so you can actually follow the the rail uh, the railways and uh, see what's your where's your another sec, you know second space habit i mean uh, sp- <clears throat> base martian base right and then i thought that okay hyperloop how to pronounce it? Hyperloop. 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 Ha- yeah. Hyper- I never can. I can't pronounce it. So <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> hyperloop. So we assume like how how much it will take. You know, what's the maximum could be between cities, and then it could be really mm. huge, and then maybe planes. So it's a kind of building, building, building up uh, on transportation and understanding uh, how you know, future of Mars cities could look like. So it's pretty much analytical work and research work. And then I got A. <laughs> I got A eventually. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Do, so uh, I'm getting... <laughs> does anyone ever, like, research doing underground habitats on Mars? Yeah, there's some discussion. There's actually many arguments uh against uh living underground but also there are some arguments for hmm. living under underground like in lava tubes right if you're talking about lava tubes without drilling so you you mean that we have a cave and then we go there right right yeah yeah it's a it's a really feasible idea but same time uh, the transportation problem like how you would get there and then you will have some facilities that could be only operated on the surface on Mars. Mm. Um, and it's really, you know, the, the distance between the habitat and distance, distance between habitat and this facility could be a, a factor that mm. you, you might go against uh, living underground. And um, yeah, so because underground is pretty much considered because of uh, radiation shielding. Mm-hmm. And there are some approaches that we can succeed uh, radiation shielding. So, for example, like a water block. So you need to want to have water anyway. And water is, is probably the best subs- substance that you can uh, have for against radiation protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, against radiation. Uh, um, so 
basically you really in order to build for for lava tubes you really need to make sure that your space habitat is going to fit fit and first off if you need to understand how big is that and then you need to think how you're going to carry this space habitat and uh, whether it's going to be inflatable or just you know a tin can pretty much aluminium tin can mm-hmm. um there's so many problems to say i'm not sure that's going to be first space as first martian habitat you're going to see but i believe that's going to be some development in this area but after mm. maybe a few first missions on yeah. surface mm-hmm. yeah just it seemed to make sense to me it just seemed like we could almost like uh the hyperloop uh that huge boring uh, machine that it just makes its own tunnel. It seemed like we could ship one of those to Mars and have it, you know, plan out a whole environment underground and then go and uh, make it livable. But I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that ever happens. Yeah, but also think about it, how much it will cost to ship this machine. It's like, (laughs) it's it's really huge. It's heavy. Uh And like, I'm not sure it's going to be really beneficial unless we build this machine on Mars and mm. unless you use resources that's available. But there's actually resources that you can build stuff. Yeah. But first, you should need to have facility in order to, you know, extrude right. these resources and create right. this, create these materials. Of so this is it's a thing. So you might think about kind of basic exploration you know, basic needs that we land on, on Mars and then we right. do basic stuff and then eventually we do great stuff, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, what uh, what was the project or the uh, the piece that you made for Marstopia and how did that how did that go for you? Yeah, it was like, it was so cool. I don't know, it just, I don't know. I was so lucky. First, I had a great team. Mm-hmm. I had a person with who I spoke only for a few days. So I felt like it would be a great companion. <laughs> I like to take risks. So, and then the second, yeah. she is my, my friend for a few months. She's also an architecture student back to that time, but she lived in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, uh, yeah. And then we both knew that it's going to be competition, but it was like $50 fee or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it was like, you don't want to pay, you know, you don't want to, you know, in, you don't enter competitions to pay, right? Like right. you, you enter competitions to win some money, not to pay, <laughs> but <laughs> eventually you win money, right? Um, and then here, here go our future chief technology officer. He, uh, I connected with him on Facebook, but before that, obviously he wasn't uh, our CTO. And then kind of, you know, we spoke for for a few days and then it just really, he said, oh, by the way, did you, do you know this March topic competition? I said, yeah, but, you know, cause kind of costly, I don't want to pay for architecture competitions. But back to that time, I already participated in a few uh, architecture competitions oh, and I did. led a team of students to participate in my university because I thought it's so cool. And yeah. we never paid anything. So I Those just were... had this rule. Those were Earth architecture competitions, right? Or were they also space architecture? Yeah, they were Earth. And then one was like, yeah, Mars space. But it was like, mm, I'm not really proud of this result. So I was like, <laughs> eh. It was really first. Oh, it was actually second. Oh, actually, there were two space architecture projects. First, it was kind of a scam. <laughs> 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 it was like they already knew who going to win. 
Oh. They chose somebody who, who they knew. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, eh. <laughs> I was uh, designing a reusable space station, pretty much nicest, but a bit mm-hmm. different configuration. I don't know. I was just really learning, so I was experimenting a lot. So right. it was pretty much fun. So a trial. Back, yeah, trial, trial. And then the second project also was trial because I'm not <laughs> really proud. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, it was the first time I never used a 3D model. Like, I oh. never built a 3D model. Mm-hmm. Only we, we built a 3D model for the interior design. It was kind of a huge ramp. So you... So it's pretty much a dome, a mm. origami dome that utilizes the best principle of origami that can be stored really small size. So it's basically a frame of a rocking can be deployed into like a size of uh, 26 times bigger than it is, wow. than it was. So it's like really cool mm-hmm. for space uh, um, exploration because you save money, you save volume. And uh, so Robert, so it's actually Robert, he's uh, also a origami artist. And then he designed this shell. He designed this amazing uh, concept of deployable habitat. And then he actually built out of a paper. So oh, we wow. actually, we, he took a lot of pictures. Remember, we were working different time zones. It's like when it's morning in the United States, in LA, it's like night in in Russia so it was like working the time when it would be possible and then he would send me some pictures I would photoshop and then I was I was pretty much a leader like um, in terms of you know understanding what we need to do and then um, pretty much an overall picture of what we need to succeed mm-hmm. and designing the final board that we submitted and then uh, my friend from Moscow Sveta her name is Sveta she she was um Photoshop guru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we pretty much photoshopped everything. Yeah. Um, it was highly conceptual. It was like, and it's actually it's competitions asked for conceptual. I wasn't asking for like an inflatable Bigelow airspace inspired habitat. So it's like you really, when you're participating in such competition, you need to understand what you expect, like what kind of conceptuality they expect. Right. From you. Do you think that's a good thing that they look for so conceptual ideas or is it negative because they're not exactly realistic? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, you know, what drives innovation is first off with story that, that somebody speaks to you. Hmm. So it's like you see a movie like a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. And then you get inspired, and then you eventually become an engineer, let's say at SpaceX, and then you actually build a craft. Right. And I really, I always see this way, like read a book, even though it's just sci-fi book, even though it's like you're watching a show on Netflix, it can bring you, it can make a, such a huge impact on you. Right. And can inspire. Kind of life imitates art argument. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I could really think that this competition inspired me even more to become space architects, even cool. though these projects, uh, this really highly conceptual projects, and then you see it on the website, it's pretty much conceptual. I just uh, 
decided that with this company, Staramentis, I want to make shift from conceptual area that uh, doesn't give money unless you, you know, consult from um, space for space movies. It's actually mm -hmm. what we, we also do. Oh, cool. uh, but we, yeah, because I think that being in science and art and architecture to movies and seeing how it's actually, it's not only, you know, this Martian facility that looks like um, a factory. It's mm -hmm. not how it's going to look like. And we just just believe that our mission is also provide this vision because, as I said, movies and uh, games they drive this inspiration. They 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 bring you this inspiration, mm. and eventually you just go and build. And um, there's also different people that like to make money and invest in cool stuff, and then there's other people who likes to create stuff and but don't have money, and then they these people should meet and right <laughs> and get create, things done. <laughs> yeah, makes the makes things done. Mm -hmm. yeah that's cool uh the piece that you created for mars toby you said it's an origami structure and you guys made a model but have you made anything uh life-size that uh to show like kind of a proof of concept or is that something that you plan on doing um well it was two years ago and there is the projects that we're currently working on um that are way feasible that this one because what i realized is that you know in order to create space architecture the way i want to i mean to affect the mental health affect the relationships between crew members you need to design ter you, you need to design furniture space habitats so you call it elements i can't really call furniture for space habitats it's kind of strange mm. um so you design inside, you, you provide, so you, I see it as, a, so you have, there's a space company developing a space habitat and it could be NASA, but NASA usually outsource it to LLC dollar or other companies. Mm -hmm. And then this company creates a shelf space that's really, you know, tight proof that's a pressurized vehicle that's not going to, you know, blow up, I mean, not going to have holes or something that just provides all life support systems, provides all the uh, uh, waste management. And then here it comes space architects in terms of, in terms of interior design. Because space architects, as I said, they're different, people, they're different types of space architects. Right. So um, when I'm mentioning space architecture, in my terms, it's like a, a begin, making this big impact on our well-being in space and mm. basically it's interior design because in the end of the day you don't really care how space that looks outside like i'm always i'm talking about like next uh, 10 20 30 years of exploration you just wanted to make sure that you're not gonna die you're just gonna be fine and then inside of a space habitat uh there's where artists and uh, architects and designs can make a huge impact. Right. Um, so I see this approach that uh, first off, like you know, in architecture, in uh, here in you know, at Earth, uh, architect all architect has has unlimited possibility to design a facade of a building, to mm -hmm. design the shape of a building, like this famous Disney Hall mm -hmm. in LA. So you. So Frank Gabe is much famous for this for his style, and you and then you find engineers. I mean, you have engineers in the team that makes 
makes it happen. But in space architecture, first off, you have restraints. You have constraints of a space habitat that you're going to design with. In, and then uh, you actually implement this vision into within these constraints into something that uh, affects well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hope makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah, you said if you thought uh, of building Marstopia. Mm, I'm not sure that we need uh, like since it's really conceptual. Uh, and it's, uh, as I already said, that the shelf is not something we want to d- work in the future because mm-hmm. um, we still, you know, space operation is not developing as rapid as we, as we want. Right. So and you think maybe that was more of a kind of just showing the concept of the, the yeah. folding structure rather than, uh, you know, like a finished environment? And then, yeah, the biggest thing is that first off, uh, space habitats are pressurized via uh, pressurized vessels. Mm. And the best shapes for pressurized vessels are, you know, torus, cylinder, sphere. So, but in sphere, I'm not sh- really sure how you create a habitat in sphere, but still, so mm-hmm. it's sphere. So it's pretty much a physical body. And then, if you create a re- rectangular or even a dome, well, I mean, a dome would be also a nice structure. Mm-hmm. But instead of origami in this term, I would say inflatable would work best. Because mm. origami, there's some problems associated with that. Uh, basically, it's like, well, I mean, origami could work best on paper because paper is so um, thin. Yeah. Or so thin, it's like this, right? But for the wall, you have to make it thick yeah. enough to block radiation. Absolutely. So, and then once you stole this uh, gummy shaped habitat, it's just doesn't add anything. But at the same time, you also need to remember that, well, once you stole a space habitat, where you're going to put everything in, like interior, interior stuff, right? Right. But in March topic, we assume that we don't, we're not going to bring anything. Mm as interior but you're going to bring a 3d printer and the algae oh, cool. yeah and algae and extract some regolith and mix with algae because algae would be a great binder because mm. you cannot just 3d print out of regolith without using um binder so we assume that yeah algae is one of the fastest growing plants and it could be used in the you know clothing there were already some exper- experiments done, not by us, but just uh, some researchers. And then they could be used for uh, utensils, it could be used for dish, for dishes, for like anything. And mm. it could be a great source of vitamins for um, for people. At the same time, it could be a great building material. I actually wrote a paper on it. Mm. Um, that's how you would mix uh, there's specific uh, ratio between al- algae and regolith you, you want to mix with. So it's like, yeah, you're talking about sustainability, like, right? Because you don't want to make a, a waste and then leave it behind you. Right. And uh, this is also kind of in parallel with uh, small living here. It's like, how would you create something that is so much storable, takes less space, and it could be reused many, many times? And then once you, if you don't, eventually, if you don't need it, 
can recycle it mm. is that the problem uh speaking of the papers you've written i saw that you wrote a paper with uh dava newman over at nasa um i want to uh, ask you about how you met and um what that paper was about and how what it was like working together <laughs> it was such a fun experience it's the time that so a year ago a summer 2018 19 mm-hmm. i went to mit for like a month to work on this project with Ariel Eggblow. She is uh, director of uh, MIT Media Lux Space Operation Initiative. It's uh, one of the labs that they have. And uh, so I went there. I could actually go, I would, I would be able to stay there longer. I could, there, I go, I could go there for a whole summer, mm. but I didn't want to because it wasn't paid. <laughs> but like now i kind of a little bit regret because of course now i i I got i kind of realized that investment not only comes from money perspective but just investment in terms of time in terms of resources that you would got and it's not experience it's exactly it's not usually monetary it's Mm -hmm. even better that it's not something that you know money but I mean, that time was desperate, so I needed to have jobs. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, I understand that for anything. sure. Yeah, so I just, I just needed some some work to do, and um, yeah. So writing a paper it was some it was such an accident. <laughs> so we, I worked on this project. I provided design, and I gave a final presentation, and then I left. Uh, Boston to so I and I started school like it was third semester of my space architecture Over in Houston. degree mm-hmm. and uh, Ariel someday Ariel uh, emails me saying Anastasia don't you mind if you use your picture and your text and your <laughs> like your design in the paper that they're writing that's awesome <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I mean actually you know what no no <laughs> <laughs> I said, of course, yes, of course, you yeah. can use it. And eventually we end up presenting this paper in the International uh, Astronautical Congress, it's the biggest congress in space exploration. Wow. So uh, uh, last year it happened in Washington, D.C. So we presented, uh, yeah, like October. Um, That's amazing. And I know. And then I didn't know that, that Deva and uh, Joseph Pardis is going to be co-authors. So it's like... <laughs> so you, you unintentionally contributed to this giant exactly. MIT science paper. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And eventually won uh, the best space architecture paper uh, oh. within this section. Like, so Washington, D.C., they also have a space architecture section where you present papers. And then mm-hmm. they're like usually like 20, 30 people or maybe 60, depending on how many days, presenting their papers. And then there's an award for the best paper and it's like it's probably the biggest award you can get space architecture uh it's uh, by astronautical uh american society it's yeah i don't remember certain the the correct abbreviation but it's like aiwa okay american society of astronautics something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool what uh what exactly did you contribute to that 
like what was the work that you were doing while you were there absolutely yeah so as i said uh they already had the tiles and the styles so it's pretty much creating uh, a bookie a bucky so wait a bucky fullerene or just a fullerene so bucky fullerene it is a a structure that was coined by Mr. Fuller, mm. American architect and inventor, and uh, he has a lot of titles. He is like a Renaissance man of the past century. Right. So he created this really stable structure. So it's like pretty much, it really replicates a, sh- a sphere, but in a kind of low poly mode, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you have uh, hexagonal tiles that you can you store in the in the fairing of a rocket, so you kind of store store it, and then once they release to space, they actually self assembling like like that. So mm-hmm. they have magnets, and they self assemble. Interesting. And this the state where uh, this is when I came to the project. So they had this technology. Uh, developed by Ariel Eggblow, and then they flew this project on a on a few parabolic flights, and mm-hmm. eventually they made it to the ISS. To the, so they flew this experiment on the ISS, and uh, so I was tasked to complement space habitat with lightweighted deployable elements for for eight people. So it's like pretty much a lot. And uh, I actually suggested that the tiles, they were like a little bit bigger, like uh, a li- little bit bigger than the fairing, a diameter for fairing. So basically means that, so you store these tiles. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Let me see. Yeah. So they, once the tiles are assembled, you know, the diameter of this assembly, it's a little bit bigger than the, the diameter of a rocket failing. A mm-hmm. failing, which is I felt like it's not really efficient because since you're creating this complicated system of uh, you know robotics mixed with magnets, why would you create like something that's really bigger? Because mm-hmm. like you just create a little bit bigger. So imagine this: uh, this spacecraft could fit in the fairing of a rocket, but it's just it's just a little bit bigger. So why not right. just create as twice as its be, yeah, of its right. size? Why make it ten so, percent bigger when it could be a hundred percent bigger? Yeah, I mean, not not that crazy, like, but still, like, um, what's the point, right? Because it's like it's extremely complicated to assemble something in space, like, so it's and then especially when we're talking about self-assembling. So why why would you create like something bigger? Because it's like, yeah, and uh, so I was pretty much designing the mission. So I was trying to understand what's the mission because the first first off you start. Uh, from understanding what our users gonna be, is it astronauts or space tourists? How long they're gonna be there? What they're gonna do? Is it is this module attached to something else, or it's just uh, a free flyer? And so we just discussed it really fast because I had only four weeks to complete. <laughs> oh, it's intense. And uh, so we just really figured out that yeah, it's gonna be eight people. And it's going to be astronauts. But at the same time, they need to have this uh, habitat module that ca- actually uh, can provide some entertainment for them. Mm-hmm. So we created in the in the core in the in the middle of of the structure. We created a kind of, kind of spherical shaped um, 
sleeping quarters is like so you kind of separate uh, the 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 center of the sleeping quarters into many pieces. So actually, uh, who's listening to it, they can approach this project uh, by looking the thermometers.com website, still space website, because <laughs> there is it's more depictive to see pictures. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I I thought about you know tactile experiences. So what does it mean to do yoga in space? Mm. <laughs> You should you should have traps traps <laughs> <laughs> to not <laughs> in order to prevent floating. Mm-hmm. Um, and what colors need need to be used? What kind of a color palette need to be used? Because mm. since you're living in this really small environment, actually that project was pretty much a big space shuttle, but still it's it's a it's a it's an environment which you can't escape. So let me, let's be honest. And um, I created some partitions, some partitions that have this extremely cool textile, uh, tactile, sorry, texture that provide tex- tactile experience. Right. Um, so when when national is going to have sensory deprivation, that can actually have this touching mm. things. And then uh, one of the thing is that. Uh, as I already mentioned, sleeping in space is something that's really hard to do mm-hmm. unless you take medications. So we created this uh, a sleeping cocoon, sort of. It's mm-hmm. actually embrace your body. Um, and uh, Like a weighted blanket. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yes. This is actually what uh, drove my inspiration. Mm-hmm. inspiration. Yeah. Um, yeah, through pressure, you apply in, in certain points of your body, you apply pressure and then you kind of feel like hugged. Hmm. Especially if you apply pressure on your back, on mm-hmm. the kind of lower back, it's like it's the best place. It's, it's actually the reason why you like to hug each other. Really? <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yes, exactly. And then you apply pressure and then you astronaut feel much better, much more relaxing. And then if, if astronaut have like this sense of of like what weightless blank, blanket provides pretty much you know providing pressure to it having this experience of embracing so in space we recreated similar experience yeah and then actually this concept of a, a space cocoon we elaborated more uh, for a proposal to axiom space mm-hmm. it's a, as i said it's a company that's going to launch the first private space station we just really thought that, well, if they hired designers, they hired a French designer to come up with the interior. And I thought, well, this company probably understands the importance of design. So we might pitch some uh, Something more proposal. functional. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What, um, when you're designing kind of more on the interior design side of space architecture, what kind of materials are you using and what do you think the importance of materials are? I mean, not just in a engineering side where obviously it needs to be lightweight and durable, but do you think about like bringing along earth materials like wood and stone just to kind of make it feel more grounded? And uh, yeah, I'm just curious about kind of what your criteria is when you're picking materials. Mm-hmm.
yeah, we we humans we feel much relaxed than when we're looking at the natural scenery, mm-hmm. or even just the uh, you know the reason why you create furniture out of wood. It sometimes is because of aesthetics that it brings. Not sometimes, but most of the times. Um, and rock is something that you would love to use um, in your interior design. Maybe, maybe in your facade, mm-hmm. or maybe in your backyard. So what I'm saying is that uh, staring at the nature scenes, or just something that represents the nature even a little bit really creates an amazing environment that you know relaxing to us so for example when i was designing this uh, space hotel versus research base for this uh, houston-based company you thought about you know plants mm. well it's a source of food but also it's really relaxing yeah um and it's like it's a theory. There's a theory. I forgot the name of it. It's like basically, it's a sciencely, it's scientifically proved theory that says that um, uh, you know even like 10, 15 minutes per day uh, when you look in the nature or even just a plant or something that kind of resonates uh, with nature environment, you know, improves your productivity, improves your mood. Really. That's wow. actually it's the reason why I'm sitting here, and then I I always look at the forest. <laughs> That's <laughs> I cool. sitting next to the window. Yeah, it makes sense, and it's you know, I mean, it's intuitive, but it's not something that I knew was proven. Yeah, it is proven. I can send you a name uh, later on or something. It could be like a name on the screen or something. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'm sure you, materials. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you. Uh, do a lot of work on the color palettes too. So I'm sure that is kind of uh, also included with the materials. Absolutely. Well, you don't want to use extremely wide with extravagant um, colors because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's the same purpose, uh, the same reason as you don't use it for bedrooms most of the time. It's uh, like in bedroom, you want to have people calm down. In space habitats, you don't want to have some becoming because you know, red color or extreme blue color, like, I mean, intense blue color, like pure blue color, not light blue, uh, would be really too overwhelming. Because mm. when you're living really kind of on uh, a close up, like you're having walls really close, it's like what I'm having right now. I have walls here really close. Right. And then imagine would be like red color. I would be, I don't know, I wouldn't be able to work That's... here long. That's true. It's it's more impactful because you're in such a small space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also wondering about like diversifying the interiors because I mean, I, I'm a designer and I, I kind of understand the different aesthetics of different styles that people have. And I'm wondering if that's also something that you're, studying is kind of like offering different experiences with interiors so that not like even if they're comfortable they don't all kind of look the same and feel the same this is this is a great question yeah as we have you know modern style you know interiors kind of rustic style Mm. um 
Well, I mean, I never thought about it. And it's, I would say that this style that we operate in, it's called like a smooth architecture. It's just the name I came up with. It's like, it's, it's not something that you can read on Wikipedia, <laughs> but basically it's like, since, as I said, it's a really close up system mm -hmm. and you know, texture and color and pattern would affect, a pattern on the wall would affect your mood so much. Um, you want to make sure that everything is like kind of embracing you. Mm -hmm. It's, it would be weird to, to compare it to this, but I can compare it to something that like a womb, like when you were, you know, inside of a womb and then this is the, you know, what uh, all the systems that you have inside provides you with life. Mm. And it's, it feels really comfy. I mean, I cannot really remember how it felt, but... <laughs> yeah, you can imagine it. But yeah. children, they usually scream when they leave this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's probably just important to make sure that it's like the least offensive kind of environment, something that makes you feel comfortable and something that you don't even really think about, but it just feels good. Exactly. I think the great design is not what stands out. Great design is that you don't notice. Mm. So it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or great, like, any great art is something that you don't really notice at all with which it was created. Mm. You don't notice these things. Yeah. And with uh, with an interior design, you just really want to, because I, I mean, I really believe that when you are going to space and then you live pretty much in isolation, you're getting back to your basics and you have so much time to figure out yourself. Because like the most unknown people to, to us is ourselves. And, um, you know, this uh, uh, interior design with uh, palette colors, with... Um, this embracing experience, not embarrassing, embracing experience. <laughs> Sometimes I mix up words, so that's 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 why I just... you're doing great. <laughs> so yeah, uh, what was the question? <laughs> um, I don't remember either. But um, another thing I'm curious about is how sci-fi influences what you guys are working on and uh do you see it as important to kind of not not replicate what is seen in sci-fi so that it doesn't seem so far-fetched or do you more get inspired by sci-fi and try and replicate it so that it's kind of more impressive It's really sad to see movies that have a specific pattern that's, mm. uh, you know, happening over and over in every sci-fi movie that you see all the time. And I just know persons, this is not how this thing going to look like. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, like this heavy metal doors that <laughs> is opening, like, like Alexa, you're saying that open the door and it's opening, right? So mm -hmm. this probably going to be a technology behind, right? 
but this is not going to be like a heavy stuff like what we are seeing is like it's just it's so heavy why you don't need this mm-hmm. um and uh, uh what else in you know in sci-fi movies most of the sci-fi movies you see really sterile white and black maybe sometimes black it's like right. Uh, kind of SpaceX is what they try to re- replicate sci- some of the sci-fi trends. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they, I, I mean, I like their design, but at the same time, you know, with sterile things, like, you know, having white walls, like mm. what I have right now, it's not really great, you know. <laughs> it's not, uh, so it, it really creates more monotonous experience and uh, mm. using color in the environment, but wisely. It's, I think, what's the most important. And then I don't see using a lot of color in sci-fi. But, of course, I'm not talking about, you know, colorful, like, red red walls and then floors, like, blue. No, no, no. It's like, a, you know, interior design. Mm-hmm. Understanding palette, understanding the mood, understanding uh, who's going to be there, like, what's what's your user, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very obvious that SpaceX is inspired by... By sci-fi yeah. i mean the suits are straight out of 2001 the, mm-hmm. the newest uh the was it the dragon that they sent to the iss yeah dragon. that that one just looked so futuristic it was incredible i mean it looked like the inside of a tesla um yeah yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't really don't really find that to be uh like comfortable i think it's cool I, i'm super into modern design and you know kind of minimalist design so I, I enjoy it but i know that a lot of people probably don't so when it's getting to a larger scale where we're actually having you know communities um we're gonna have to kind of try and diversify diversify mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly um and also looking at the sci-fi movies you always see these huge spaces i mean it really depends mm. what year they depict but like they'll really like to show this a core like a core habitat with like a like a corridor and it's like really huge and it's mm-hmm. this you know white and black colors and some lights mm-hmm. on the perimeter it's just just unrealistic I mean, I mean, in terms of lies, of course, you can recreate it. Um, but it's like, just feel like all the sci-fi moves that pick up on the stream that they're just trying to use it. They saw it in the space odyssey and then they like try to replicate and replicate and you just see it's the same thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just really want to have some diversification terms of that. So what I'm saying is that in the next like 50 years, we're still going to care about how much volume and room it takes and mm. we will try to squeeze our astronauts as soon as, po- as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sci-fi could be a really great, uh, great, you know, thing for inspiration. Like it's what I also, um, this is actually how I got inspired to be in space in the shares. Well, a little bit so much. So it's like maybe 5%. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, most of the time I was inspired by architecture from different sources. Mm-hmm. So you, you can get inspired, but I would rather say that try to create something new 
try to really forget what people done so far because doesn't mean that's the best thing that could be created. Well, I mean, design itself, it's not, um, um, how would sell that? How would say that? You know, it's not physics, right? You, you cannot say this is, you know, X and this is how you go. It's like, you know, the design is pretty much, it's all about perception of uh, each person. And we have our own tastes and uh, there's no such design that's going to be, this is going to be the best, like 100%, this is going to be the worst. It's, it's never going to happen like that. So try to, you know, understand the user's needs, understand how you could create, how you as an artist could can create this environment that, that people don't want to leave. And mm. what are experiences? So uh, as I mentioned, maybe like five hours ago, <laughs> five hours ago that, um, wait, what, what I mentioned? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Um, yeah, uh, there is around well, fifty-six and something like five hundred thousand people, almost sixty thousand dollars people. Sorry, not dollars. Sixty thousand people can afford to go to space, mm. but there were only a few went. And it means that it's not that attractive. And our mission as architects is to think what are wonderful kind of experiences we could provide in space. What I mean by that is that, uh, like, could the walls be moving, like, so it can be replicating um, a music uh, tempo, or, uh, for example, could it be like sort of a, a time machine or traveling machine where you could be there in weightlessness and experience extreme, like uh, wearing a headset, virtual headset, mm. and then experiencing everything that you would be happy to in weightlessness. So you kind of, you, you create an environment of even floating in space, right? you know, like within the stars. Yeah. Because you, you can have just a transparent space habitat. <laughs> there's so many restrictions. So just, uh, there's going to be uh, maybe like not really a big window. So it's like imagine a floating um, that only that, you know, you set up virtual reality headset and that you just float and then you really imagine that you are outside and it's still safe because, you know, performing spacewalk is not for <laughs> space tourists. Yeah. yeah. It, it does seem like virtual reality could play a big part in, in space travel. Um, it seems like, such a good kind of alternative to being on earth you can absolutely really i think replicate uh, anything you want yeah talking about movies so if you watch the mars attack of his uh schwarzenegger he he just he got experience of going to mars but it was like sort of so at that time it was like it was filmed 90 90s, 1980s, I don't remember. So they didn't have, you know, a virtual reality thing. Mm -hmm. And then they, but they basically, they, there was a storyline that saying that, so there's going to be a kind of a story where it's going to be a man that's going to sell you experiences. So you don't need oh, to cool. pay money. You don't need to pay money to go to Mars. You don't need to pay money for anything. You just can have a memory of it and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so he, this guy actually went to Mars and it was uh, such a fascinating movie. But it's like, it really means that 
Well, the actual action, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's like mm. if you can, uh, you know, uh, talking about these chips that we can going to have, like, you know, connected to the brain. And right. then if we can upload some memories, it's just mm. so crazy to think about it, but it's like just <laughs> I, happening. I talk on neural, I talk about Neuralink pretty much on every single podcast. It <laughs> <laughs> always nice. seems come up. <laughs> Yeah. How, what's your opinion on that? You think it's cool? Or, or I, I think it's very cool. Freaked out? <laughs> I'm definitely freaked out. I, I think it's kind of like, I don't know. It's just, it's stepping away from humanity into something, whatever's next. And uh, I mean, obviously it's cool. It's incredible and it's practical and it's reasonable. I mean, I, I can totally understand why someone would do it, but obviously it's scary and I'm not even that scared of like the physical aspect of it. Like it seems like they've pretty much got the surgery figured out. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not really even scared about like, you know, a lot of people are talking about like, what if it gets hacked or what if it like malfunctions that all that stuff doesn't even really scare me. Um, what scares me is more like the, the way it's going to implement or affect society uh, because it's, it's really changing us from humans into something else. And, uh, Another thing that scares me is kind of the ethical dilemma about it. in the beginning, the first people who get it are only going to be rich people. So then you have all these rich people who are, you know, super geniuses. And then everyone else is just like poor and not smart compared to these super geniuses. So yeah, those are the things that scare me about it. But it's coming for sure. And it's definitely exciting. And it's something that I've been keeping track on. But yeah, there's there's a lot to say about it, and obviously there's pros and cons. But what what do you think about it? Yeah, I just I think reached the point that our computers and cell phones just parts of us. We don't mm-hmm. we don't need to remember anything. We just can Google it and can find when's your uh, friend's birthday, or like you don't need to remember any numbers and. Uh, mm-hmm any information you could you could find and it's just i could see this really short relation to narrow links that yeah you can connect a computer to a brain but doesn't mean it creates uh, it will make you a genius doesn't mean you will create like a smart person no i don't think so mm. it just i think that in the future that would be so much appreciated if, if you think for yourself and yeah that's true. um i think creativity will be more of a like a sought after trait. Yeah, I I really agree with that. I'm not sure I would like to imp- implement it to my brain. I'm okay with my productivity. I'm not the fastest person, but it's fine. <laughs> we are still people. We are not machines. We are yeah. We just perfect in the way we are. We forget stuff. We do stuff wrong, but it's part of our nature. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So and we fight each other. You're not, you're not signing up then. <laughs> well, not sure. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I just I, I, I want to either. have my own brain with my mm-hmm. hands. It's like it's already there's some studies that basically shows that your brain is actually not, not your own. It's like it makes its own decision without you knowing it, and then it's actually right. makes a signal to you that's actually well. I mean, the, you the one who made the decision, not me. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's just I really like to study, you know, brain and some its activity and it's it's actually the the 
the payback that you like for example if you need to push button there's there's so many research on that like if you push button like you just choose one and then the brain send you signal and then there's many milliseconds that you would push the button so it's right it's already decided before you deciding i, I can't right. explain that it's like it just just brain lives you know itself right without I, you and then what actually you know configure yourself as a human i mean as a person mm -hmm. who you are as a person if you're becoming keyboard like if uh i mean cyborg you you know you can replace your arms you can replace your heart you can replace salad uh, i don't know everything but what yeah. what actually would define you as a person right Is like when do brain? You, yeah. when when do you cross that threshold into something yeah uh, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a philosopher. I had him on the podcast and uh, we got into this about like we were kind of discussing the nature of reality and the universe. And we, we started talking about free will and he was telling me kind of what you're talking about, how it's been shown that your brain kind of decides what you're going to do before it even tells you what you're going to do. And, uh, and that's something about that. It's just so weird. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it. We were talking about predeterminism and just like, do are we controlling our our own destiny or is it something completely else, uh, different entirely? And yeah, I don't know. It's weird, and it's it's going to be even weirder with Neuralink. Yeah, I just really hope that we will be able to use our robotic capabilities uh, uh, in the extent that we really need to, like, I mean, what freaks me out is that there are some apps that, uh, you know, reminds you to kiss your wife in a certain time because <laughs> you forget. Really? Uh, or just be more appreciative in your relationships. And like this is really, oh sorry, this themselves. Yeah, okay. This is really such a human thing, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, what would you feel like? What wife would feel if you if if she would realize or figure out that you're using app to re <laughs> to remind right. yourself that you need to do something with her? It's just yeah, so ridiculous. It is. That's it, interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I heard of it like maybe a year ago somewhere. <laughs> but it's like automation, like, I mean, smart home is really great. I use it all the time. Like I have lights connected to one resource, so it's like, it's really great. And then I can create this circadian rhythm, like in mm. my apartment. Like when I was living in LA, I lived in an extremely small apartment. It's low light. And then I, we were just experimenting with... Uh, you know, like sunset, sunrise. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty much creating the temperature of light mm. uh, for, you know, different time of a day. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so this uh, technology, using technology, using uh, AI for the sense, that's really great. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, what's the threshold? It's just, I don't know, because... I heard that Amazon, they want to produce these houses, like, kind of, uh, let me see, out of shelf, that basically, you know, all about automation, all about, you know, knowing when you're coming, knowing 
when to mm -hmm. open a door, knowing everything, like to feed your dog, knowing to how you feed your children, <laughs> knowing like... Uh, like a totally automated house. Absolutely. It's like your your blinds are getting up when you need to. It's actually, it's already, you can do it actually already. Right, but they want to make then, kind of an all-in-one package. Yeah, so you... Yeah, you buy it via Amazon, obviously. <laughs> and then you have... Shows up the this... next day. <laughs> yeah, and then you have the drones that deliver your stuff to your dome. It's actually dome... Do, do, the dome... The, sorry, the, the house opens the door because they know it's the drones. Oh, by the way, I've seen this scene like of a drone invasion in um, X-Files, like a recent episode. <laughs> like Like... Yeah, 2018. I don't watch Fix Files, but I was just walking around and I seen yeah. it. It was like about the drones, they, they like, they got sort of soul. I mean, they got some intellect. Yeah. So they, they want to kill people, like, in, in a way. <laughs> I mean, they, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And they, I just feel like it's pretty much a, a future. It's like they, 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 they featured this uh, self-driving car. So you, you heard of Tesla that they're saying that, um, so your car, you, if you buy Tesla, if you, you know, rent a Tesla and then if you're working, you can actually make your car working for you and mm. then you can, you know, drive like, like a taxi, like, yeah, like an Ubers then, while you're at work. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> and then in that episode of X-Files, there's like, uh, the car is just, you know, it drives you and then it's like, there's so many advertisements and then it's just broken and it's like, it, it can let you out, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. such a horrifying future. It's like, and then everybody's watching you, you know, you, all the transaction, everything that you put, mm. you know, all the customization you put in your, in your like phone and your computer, everything is just out here. Mm -hmm. like as you see in google you just see it in the physical world <laughs> it's like oh my god are yeah. you kidding me yeah we're we're getting to a weird place with our technology where it's it's really like it's even crazier than the stuff that we predicted um so who knows i mean like do you watch black mirror no but i did hear <laughs> what's yeah. going on there so the the neural link is i i've read i've read that people said it's pretty much straight from like yeah Hero. so yeah uh -huh. can you tell me more uh well they have i mean it's a series so every episode's kind of a different um like a different weird uh universe where different things happen and most mm -hmm. of them are related to technology so like there's one where uh you know the Boston Dynamics spot dog? Of course, yeah. Like, there's an episode where that dog like is hunting people down. It's like a killer robot dog and it's like chasing people through the woods and uh, there's different things like that. And then there's a bunch that kind of have to do with uh, like brain interfaces like Neuralink. And yeah, it's, it's a really good show. It's definitely one of the cooler sci-fi things going on. But I don't think they did one this season, but uh, the past seasons have been really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I can definitely, I need to check that out. Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's a little scary. It's, uh, it's a really intense show, but you should definitely see it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good, thanks. Um, well, before we wrap up, tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing over at Stellar Amenities and what you kind of, what you have planned for the next few years and what what are the big highlights that you see 
for the company? Yeah, you predict a bright future. <laughs> good. <laughs> Most people don't right now, so it's good that you do. <laughs> well, coronavirus was such a, I mean, it's still a yeah. thing. In the uh, well, I mean, I am, it might sound weird, but I'm extreme introvert and it takes a lot of energy for me to speak, but I also know, I also enjoy it, but at the same time, I would rather stay away from society and work. It's, it's kind of, I don't know. I understand. I'm I just really enjoying to live the way where I live right now. There's lake at the forest and then there's almost no people, like a little bit of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really love to be focused and do stuff I like. And then someday I just become... Uh, like social butterfly and then i go to conferences speak a lot and then mm. for another year i just silent and like <laughs> within coronavirus pandemic it's just it just it's kind of a good reason to not going out and because i didn't really like it before <laughs> it's like staying home it's it's uh you need to stay home and it's like i feel good about it because i would i would love to stay home anyway yeah <laughs> so strange um and um as for the projects and our bright future um we are currently figuring out uh, a few departments that we want to have um so it's gonna be i think six or seven departments that we figured out so we started from space architecture department and small living apartment so it's pretty much like small living apartment and uh, we understand that space market is not something that we're going to, you know, benefit a lot in a kind of short run. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe in the next few years, we're not going to probably receive any re- revenue unless we consult with movie, uh, movies or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe some occasional projects. I mm-hmm. don't know. Or, you know, we want to... I'm actually, I'm applying for green cards right now to be able to work with uh, airspace industry because the problem is that uh, I am currently I'm off on student visa mm-hmm. wait how long time how much time we have okay oh we have a little bit more um, um can I explain it yeah <laughs> yeah cool so the the thing is that if you're foreign you can work for basics you can work Oh, he's still there. As a founder of a space architecture company, I can work with uh, our space. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I am... you cut out for a yep. sec. Uh, you were saying you. Uh, I can see that your location is weak. Uh, sorry, your okay. internet is not great. Uh oh, I can hear you now. So you, okay. you can continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have um, three minutes. From- charge my ipad and i'm not sure i have okay i'm gonna be short so okay so the thing is that uh in the airspace industry it's like you should be at least permanent citizen uh, citizen resident sorry permanent resident and i'm currently fixing this so i'll try to do my best mm-hmm. to apply and see how it goes so i wish me luck yeah because it's like yeah i guess it's something that like 
what prevents me from working in other spaces is that these things and it's just really hard to secure some contracts mm-hmm. but it's not impossible so Fine. So, but as for revenue projection, we expect that our, um, so in my place where I live, we have workshop, we have CNC machine. Mm. So I live with chief technology officer, we design and pretty much build and prototype stuff all the time. Cool. And we want to have our first line of furniture that is pretty much we're still deciding which one, so there's going to be probably a rollable furniture, so basically it can be a table and rolls up and then can be stored somewhere else. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and then he designed this amazing um, modular boxes that pretty much replicates a, a Lego pattern when you kind of pack a box on, on each other, so it's like... and. This configuration could allow you to build a bookshelf or a table or like a couch if you have cushions. So we, we want to include cushions. So it's like pretty much if you're moving from one space to another, um, like especially during like since we are millennials, we, we do we like this stuff a lot. I personally move a lot. And this is the time I pretty much settled a little bit, but I'm going to move out of LA perhaps. Are you mm-hmm. still here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. And uh, so these boxes allow you to, you know, unpack your, really decrease the time of moving in and out. So you, in this box, it's also storage boxes. And then you pretty much, uh, it can be clothing units. So you, you, you put clothing, you, the way you use these boxes, you um, arrange this, you know, boxes as a, a, for example, closet. And then you use the, clothing clothing and then once you want to move out you just uh slide the door because it's going to be a small door and then you just mm-hmm. put it in a truck or put it in your <laughs> car and then that's all you don't need to put it in another box or a, yeah. a trash bag or like it's really frustrating it's just moving in and out it's just such a thing and it's mm-hmm. like we we want to buy stuff with people and then same time it's like oh do i really want to buy because i need to move in and out this stuff <laughs> yeah so yeah, this is really what excites me a lot because we can actually see improvements in smalling right now. Like we are rapidly developing and we want to release this furniture and then uh, be able to sell in 2021. Like I think say uh, spring of 2021. So, awesome. Yeah. So you're working yeah. on prototyping that stuff right now with your CNC? Yeah. And nice. we kind of decided unofficially that he's in charge of this department of smalling i'm in charge of space department okay <laughs> it doesn't bring any money like on a big scale and uh, currently we are the, working it's the grand plan the, the absolutely the, the larger yeah. goal mm-hmm. so we're currently working on starship interior design as it would oh. be of this uh like full capacity like 100 people we're not sure about 100 wow. people though because it might not be even possible in terms of physics mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh around like maybe 50 people it's already it's still it's a big number and we are currently figuring out you know subsystems and eventually we'll create an interior that and i mean we already have a shell of a star, starship and we want to be to make it available for everybody to 3d print Oh, so wow. you can have like a model on your table that's, you know, got kind of cut section so you can really yeah. be inspired by uh, what's going on in space. So it's like, 
yeah, I feel like it's a really cool project. And then the second project that we're working is pretty much near term. It's creating like uh, our vision towards a space hotel, our vision towards creating new sensations. I'm talking about all about, you know, creating new experiences, about what it actually means. We want to show it via pictures. So it's yeah. like uh, pretty much showcase projects. We don't have clients for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those, those sound like really cool projects. Uh, I mean, particularly for me, the Starship interior, there's so much uh, so much possibility there. That, that, that'd be a really fun project to work on, I'm sure. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I hope we can talk again soon. And uh, I'd like to, once you guys have those projects finished, maybe uh, have another chat with you and we can... Uh, go over what you guys came up with and uh you know show me what you're what you're envisioning for your space hotel and for your starship interior and everything and i think that'd be really cool absolutely i would love to awesome thank you well uh yeah thanks again for hopping on with me today uh i definitely took a bit of your time so i appreciate it i it's one of the most enjoyable conversation we had just really cool <laughs> awesome that's it's just really hear. wonderful to see a person that's so much exciting excited about design architecture and i love it 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 definitely intersects a lot of my interests like science and design and architecture it's a it's a really cool field and uh i'm excited to see what you guys do absolutely thank you so much please take care of yourself and <laughs> you stay too. in touch yeah yeah sounds good Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to my episode with Anastasia Procina. Uh, Once again, if you want to check her out or check out her company, it's stellaramenities.space. And they're on uh, social at Stellar Amenities. I recommend checking out their website. They've got a lot of cool information and You can see the projects that they've done and the proposals that they've got put together. And I hope that you follow along and see what they're making in the future. Check out the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, Also, full videos available on YouTube. If you'd like to follow the podcast on social, please do. Uh, It's on Instagram at interviewpod. Uh, Also, website, interviewpod.com. Please leave a rating and a review and uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, I have a lot of really cool people coming on soon, uh, every week, putting these out on Mondays. So uh, definitely looking forward to the next few weeks and um, just seeing what the future holds. All right. Thank you. Thank you.